are here. <laughs> I've never heard of Laura. That's a I haven't either. Production company. I think that should be good. Yeah. Give me a little fluff, because I need a new theme song. He's the other one three times, so now we're, we're in it. So Adam Sandler, is he good? Is he bad? Yes. I know. The answer, <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah. It depends, really, on uh, on what he's doing. If he's writing slash directing slash, you know, the money behind it, probably it's going to suck now. And if he just kind of gets in bed with a lot of really good indie darlings, uh, it's going to be good. You know? This, I think this... Adam Sandler, a podcasting adventure, came about from comparing him to Jim Carrey. They were both actors that came to relative prominence around about the same time, uh, had very different shticks, but both shticks were very unique to them and very comedy oriented. And both actors, I think have even in their the I don't want to say the height of their careers I don't want to imply that their careers have like I don't, I don't think either one of them are has-beens at this point but uh, both of them have done more serious roles even at the uh, at, in their heyday um, like the uh, Truman Show and Man on the Moon um, Punch Drunk Love even though that was a little bit later um but now it seems that both of them are kind of transitioning to roles that are almost like a, a counter to the stuff that they were doing. At least in Jim Carrey's case. Adam Sandler, maybe not as much. Because I think that Uncut Gems is a soft, like, Star Trek, a la Star Trek incontinuity reboot of Punch Truck Love. <laughs> Well, not really. But. No, yeah, but like I think that it, there's something to be said about the fact that Adam Sandler, no matter what movie he's in, if it's gonna be good or entertaining or whatever, he's playing a loser. Like that's one thing you know. People always say like, "Oh, this isn't an Adam Sandler movie. This is a movie with Adam Sandler in it." But I, I would beg to differ. So yes, it's not done by Happy Madison. And thank God it's not. But it is definitely an Adam Sandler movie because the only characters that Adam Sandler does well are losers. Is people who are down on their luck, good at heart, but just really can't hack it in this world. You know, they have some kind of tragic flaw that defines them. And I definitely think in the case of Uncut Gems, that fits into that vibe of, you know... uh, just a loser. I mean, because he really is, even though he's relatively successful, question mark, he is definitely a loser. He, he's he got a, you know, just a really messed up life. Yeah. But see, I wouldn't even think he's... Like, this film, Uncut Gems, uh, is not the sort of film that I... That, that's in my preference. Uh, like the the I don't want to say that it's not. It's clearly not like a gangster movie, but like 
those vice and crime movies like the Guy Ritchie films kind of fall in that category uh, where there's like a seedy underworld of sorts and the characters are constantly like there's deception and lying and that's and that's never really appealed to me so when I was going into watching Uncut Gems I thought for sure I was going to walk out of it going, well, it's not my thing, but I could see why people like it. But I did genuinely enjoy it. I think that the film did subvert um, a lot of those tropes in a, I think in a meaningful way. I think uh, I, uh, I was also kind of gearing up for a custom film that was designed to for everyone to go to think I'm saying I'm serious now he's a serious actor now we're going to take him seriously and it wasn't the case I think it was it was a well-crafted film on its own that was improved upon by Adam Sandler's uh, presence in it Uh, I I think you could have cast someone else in it it would have been different maybe not as good maybe better we'll never really know but it wasn't it didn't seem like it was tailor-made for him Mm -hmm. specifically if that makes sense yeah and I think that, well, I mean, we know actually from uh, interviews and everything that the Safdie brothers had had uh, written this for Adam Sandler to play. And they had actually been trying for 10 years to get this film made. And funny enough, according to Adam Sandler himself, uh, his agent read the script, said, no, this is not something that I'm going to allow for my client to do because it's just too weird or too whatever. Yeah. And this has happened twice, actually. because then, But then uh, Adam Sandler actually watched uh, Good Time. Good Time? Yeah, Good Time. Uh, with Robert Pattinson, which was the Safdie Brothers' first film. And he was like, okay, I want to do something with these guys. And Kevin that was, Garnett. yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get, get to that. We'll, we'll get that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, there's uh, again, like he, he also brought an authenticity to it, like not to be weird, but if you're going to have a stereotypically Jewish person as your character, you kind of need to get someone who knows that world. And he is the poster child for, well, I think I think for me, uh, this you could have fallen into a trap of uh, of stereotypes of just flat out the stereotypes, and I think this film did avoid that by having because uh, Adam Sandler is all uh, is uh, the oh, I'm trying to think where to put this. Um, the Hanukkah songs. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like, absolutely. He was one of the, at least for me, I'm trying to find a way where I don't sound like this terrible person. Like, he was, he, he I didn't really Jewish know what, Ju- I didn't know what Jewish yeah. was yeah. as a kid until I literally, the, as weird as my life is, uh, I'm, all right, this can be a little bit of a tangent here, but bear with me. Uh, my first. Introductions into Passover, the story of Moses, and all of that stuff wasn't Sunday school or uh, ten, not Ten Commandments. Fuck, um, is it Ten Commandments? What? The uh, where you part the old Cecil B. DeMille film. Oh, um, yes, yeah, Ten Commandments. Yeah. Okay, um, none of that shit. It was Rugrats. 
two-part episode because their family's Jewish. And I was like, God, the Rugrats really went ham deep in this episode. It's really, like, kind of overly dramatic. That's weird. And then about the same time in my life, we're driving up to my family during Christmas and listening to the radio stations. They play the Hanukkah songs. And I remember asking my dad, like, why are they naming all these famous people? And I'm like, well, they're... Uh, there are people in the industry that are Jewish. And I'm like, well, what, what is that? And my dad's like, well, uh, I don't know how deep I want to get into this, but like there's a segment of our society that believes that Christ isn't the pro- like the true prophet and they believe into the Old Testament. Also, you're seven. We got your Power Rangers. They're wrapped up in the back. <laughs> we'll wait a little bit. So like he's the, he was like my inner kind of introduction into the segment of, the, of society, both in the religious aspect of Jewishness or uh, Judaism and the cultural Judaism or uh, the Jewish culture, at least the, um, like the New York variety uh, of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where this film could have fallen into, this, into some of those stereotypical traps because uh, the Jewish community definitely has a lot of negative stereotypes associated with it. Um, and I think this movie definitely avoids it doing that. The line. It, 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 it avoids playing those stereotypes up for shock value, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... Um, and I, I, I do think Adam Sandler is a big part of that, that he was able to play this character with a level of... Because he's not, like... Usually with these sorts of films, you're... It, they're almost like morality tales. They're like, oh, I don't want to be. No one wants to be Ray Liotta in um, uh, the. Uh, I kind of want to be. But Ray you know, Liotta. really though, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, uh, like you're like, God, what a, you know, what an act. Like he's just. He's, but this guy, you don't really, you still don't want to be him. No, but you he, could like. You can pity him. He's kind of pitiable in the sense that it's like it's it's not it's not his wealth that does him in. Yeah, it's that. It's that want to flaunt wealth. It is absolutely something that is universal. Mm-hmm. As he pawns off of Michael Jackson on cross. a cross. Yeah. Well, I think that the thing is, is that he he's sick. I mean, he really is. Like one of the big things that it obviously deals with is. Um, is addiction where yeah. it's like he's addicted to gambling and, exactly and, and this is the reason why he has this problem this is the w- reason why he ha- he's gotten in too deep and spoilers in case anybody oh is yeah listening. I'll do a spoiler tag go for it um, is that you know he is in deep with his brother-in-law because he's addicted to gambling and then even and his brother-in-law is in deep with this. Yeah. Because he wants the money back, yeah. but he doesn't realize how how far it goes. Yeah. Um, and then kind of going through this film, like these, these, I'm trying to think of like a contemporary film that's not like the Irishman or like the mafioso gangster stuff because that's, that's pretty separated from this film going into it. But watching that, I was, I liked, I, I can't just I can't get into the characters as much. So anytime that happens, I always try to uh, guess the plot. Mm-hmm. What's coming up? Like what are they? You know, where are the red herrings? Where are they trying to lead me away? Because usually where these films are more successful is when they get you thinking one direction, and all of a sudden it's yanked away because you weren't paying attention to the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like for example the at the very end of the film I thought for sure his girlfriend was going to take the money I thought that was going to be the big the big twist is that she would uh you know, she's in love with them. I don't have any doubt that her love, but she would be looking at $1.2 million and a guy that's unstable, uh, um, I want to say needy, but that's not right at all, um, high maintenance kind of person, and that she would just dip with the money. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. And, uh, I think that's that's where this movie kind of, to its credit, uh, I wasn't really able to guess where it was going. Yeah. I mean, I could see where it was going, but it was it it was it felt very organic. It didn't feel like oh pow plot twist mm-hmm. like these films like to do. And fuck, I can't. All right, I'm gonna do this rant. And I'll be done with it. Okay. They shouldn't have put a real basketball athlete in this film. It it was just super distracting to me. I I think they could have they could have had his character like they could have had the guy like his name like no makeup a fictional basketball character like the real guy no no problem with that but he's never present he's always done through his spokesperson mm-hmm. and I think that they missed a trick where they could have um, had almost like a third level where oh, what is his what's Adam Sandler's character's name Howard uh, Ratner yeah where Howard Ratner. I don't want to say shortchanged. I guess it is shortchanged, but I don't think it. He, it's not as he did it dishonestly. He just knew that uh, he could get away with underselling the gem for the Ethiopians, and I think they missed a trick where Casey could have done it to him, where it's like, no, I'm not paying. Like it's yeah, it means something to me, but I'm not paying two million dollars for it. I'm yeah. gonna, I'll give you 170 k because I know you need the money more than I need that mm-hmm. stone. And I think they kind of missed out by having him here. Well, but the, I, the where I would uh, disagree, like, I, I get the idea of, like, maybe taking it out of the real world a little bit and having, like, a fictional even uh, depiction of a actual NBA mm-hmm. ca- player it, the, the where I would disagree is, is that it lends a certain continuity to it it lends a certain again culture and sort of appropriateness of like okay if Kevin Garnett who you know we as the audience maybe we know maybe we don't know but if you present him this way in this movie then that's the way we're going to interpret him. It's like, okay, this is Kevin Garnett, and this is how he would interact with this character of Howard Ratner. And then it also leads into, like, a lot of different things having to do with the NBA and having to do with... with Because also, too, it's all about pressure. It's all about, you know, the, the, the drive for success and everything. And I think that there is a certain level of, again, continuity and accuracy of, like... An NBA player always has something to compare himself to, which is Michael Jordan. And if you have that high of a standard of like that is the the peak, you cannot like so few people have reached that summit that essentially it's impossible to reach that goal. And I think how Ratner's character sort of is mirrored as that there is no. And this is a generalization, but Jewish people in New York are generally seen as successful. 
and this is a little bit of a tangent if you want to cut this part out honestly it's okay <laughs> but it, it's essentially that like there's this pressure and okay let me change well, it it's but, like a it's it's a it's a media stereotype yes you see exactly. all both in in, in fictional even worlds in, yeah. and real worlds that because even in his family mm-hmm. he's sort of seen as the lower of the brothers lower in the family of like yeah he's got a jewelry store but how successful can you be? Yeah. And it, it, but everybody else in the family is really, really successful and really, really happy with their life and everything. But he seems to be miserable for, well, a, the, for a reason. There's also, there's a theme in this film and this kind of supports why I kind of wish where I could see maybe KG shows up in this first scene where he sees the, the gem and falls in love with it or the opal and falls in love with it where, uh, the sort of the tragic flaw of, of Howard is it's never enough. It's mm-hmm. never, and he always has to. Well, I don't say always has to. It's, I think it's implied with his his costuming and uh, his choices uh, in fashion and those sorts of things that there's a there's a, an opulence, a gaudy opulence to it. Where his family's very reserved. Right. Um, his wife, his soon to be ex wife, very reserved because they. Like we are wealthy, we don't need to show, show it. it. Yeah, we. It's you know, and I think that's where they maybe missed a trick with KG by never him never coming back. It's like, dude, like I don't need to deal with you. Mm-hmm. I've got people to right. deal with you. You're nothing. Like that gem means a lot to me, but your you Howard are nothing to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a multi millionaire NBA player that's uh, a, a rising star. Um. And you just ha- so happen to have something that I want, and I know you don't. Well, I know that, you. Yeah. You have no bargaining chips here, just as the people in Ethiopia didn't really have the bargaining chips against Howard. Well, and and I think that that changes the the tone yeah. and changes the message of the of the movie because I honestly think that in terms of like the mess, what is the message of the movie is that. All of those things that you were just talking about are not good. Yeah, <laughs> like you no, know what I mean. All like, terrible. like it's the, all this terrible. constant and like, oh, <laughs> sorry, uh, this constant drive for wealth and this constant drive for success only makes you un- unhappy yeah. and only makes you like a worse person. Yeah, no, it because, absolutely does. Because Kevin Garnett, even to a certain extent, like mm-hmm. he he's presented as this kind of an of a jerk character, which is a little bit weird when you like, and where I would agree with you is that, okay, this is a real person and you're presenting him like he's a jerk in real life. But like, I don't know anyways, but like my, my thing about it is, is that I, I just think that there lends itself to a, a certain continuity and a certain like relatability to with Howard where it's like, if I met Kevin Garnett, in real life, maybe I would be that blustery and that, you know, trying to one up him and everything like that. Maybe I would be that way too, because that's like a, a natural, like toxic male kind well, of vibe. Well, the other thing, like, and I'm literally, it's kind of coming to my mind now as I'm watching the scene where he's showing the history of The Rock, the, the Opal to Kevin Garnett, is that this whole situation starts because he can't help but brag. Right. He had no intention of selling the opal this opal to, to Kevin Garnett, but he can't help but go, look what I have. Look mm-hmm. what I got. And it gets him in trouble. In fact, it kicks the film off. Like the, the yeah. film would have, uh, uh, he'd still be alive. 
maybe yeah. who knows yeah uh, before the end of it but it's he just couldn't help it and even like, and one of my favorite parts in this film is he solves his problem by selling the opal to Kevin Garnett yeah but he still can't let it go mm-hmm. and he risks it all uh, on the bet but in his mind he's like no I I have faith in you I've got faith in this magic we're me and you we're winners we're not like the people the, the we're not the losers that don't have the money we're not the poor folks in Ethiopia we are winners there's something about us that makes us intrinsically better and in this film in that moment he was right yeah <laughs> but so I, it, but then he lost <laughs> yeah from what from what you were talking about I think now I have the reason why Kevin Garnett was picked and why I think it works more clearly now. It's because the point of this movie, like the oh, point... soul montage. Yeah, the, the point of it mm-hmm. is to put the experiences of the characters inside of the movie onto the audience. Because one of the things that is pretty universal in, in its criticism or in its praise and I would say I would concur for myself and my experience is the visceral and physical anxiety that this film portrays. And I think it does it extremely accurately. And the reason why Kevin Garnett adds to that is because when Howard is making concessions and making exceptions to his rules, it's because it's Kevin Garnett. You're not going to do that for a different person. I can see that. Where it's, where he's kind of kowtowing out to this presence that's even larger than the film. Right, exactly. Um, And it's like, wait, 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 if this was a, like, if this was, okay, the character, I think is, yeah, uh, Demony, or yeah, the, his his middleman spokesperson. His middleman kind of like hype guy. Um, if it was him playing a NBA player, we'd be like, oh, that's an actor portraying an NBA, NBA player. player. That's weird. Why is Howard like kowtowing to this guy? But it's like that we are experiencing what Howard is experiencing. Um, so that was a little where he relents to. I see. I don't understand. <sighs> now I'm like looking too. at Howard like the man. I'm like, why? Just tell the guy to. To tell screw off, yeah, yeah, or like, go. You want it? Then buy it. Two million dollars, yeah, or something like that. I, I don't mean, know, but it it's, just, but if we wouldn't have a movie. Well, because he, he also he'd go. Oh, that sucks, man. And leave. He, yeah, he, here's <laughs> the connection too, because because so he's a Knicks fan, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. That's, he's a Knicks fan. Because his nine year old self would be like, "What the hell?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he has a respect for KG because he won. The NBA an NBA title, and it's like okay, that's something that the Knicks haven't done in forever, and you were the reason why, like you were a big part of it, because he's so in love with NBA, which is another like important aspect of like you know the continuity and culture behind this is that you know the Jewish community, from what I've been told in that area, the Diamond District in in New York more broadly is very much centered around NBA and the love of NBA. In fact, one of the coolest little things that's in this movie is when Howard Ratner is going into the uh, workout gym with his Demony or Demany, whatever, how you, however you pronounce that character's name, 
And the guy's like, why are you so into this NBA thing anyways? Because basically it's like, you know that it's this is our turf, meaning like African-Americans are more successful. But he says, well, did you know that the first points were made by a Jew? And it was like, I didn't even know that. And also that's really cool how it connects to this story and everything and how it's like, because something that I think it does tap into and... I don't know how deep we want to get into this because I think we do need to eventually start talking about Adam Sandler as a whole. Yeah. (laughs) But it is very interesting that the two groups, races, ethnic groups, whatever you want to call it, are African-Americans and Jews or Israeli, Palestinian, whatever you want to call it, it more broadly, that those are the two conflicting groups in this story because it's like it's this weird sort of struggle together to make their way in America because Jews and African Americans I mean African Americans obviously had more of a difficulty making their way because of the unfortunate fact of slavery but Jews in America have sort of this also long history of being oppressed by maybe not just Americans, but also well, so just... It's a different sort of... Right. Pri- I, I think what this movie... Could, as you were saying that, was kind of giving me... My instinct from the beginning, and even during this film, was to compare it to the Mafia movies, the, the Scorsese sort of films. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to throw Scorsese under the bus or Francis Ford Coppola. I think they're, I th- I think they're well-meaning um, directors, and I think this would be actually a really good segue to... Uh, not Lewis Clark, what the hell's wrong with me? Um, Adam Sandler's career as a whole, because uh-huh. I think this does touch upon the stuff, is that this film treats both of those ethnic groups with way more dignity and respect and authenticity than Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese do most of the time, I think, with like Italians. Oh, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Where, like, it's always that, vinny, 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 yeah. you know, all that terrible. Very, very over the top. It's very and, cinematic, yeah. very larger than life. And I, like I said, I don't think it was done maliciously. We're not supposed to, like, walk away from these because, oh, those dumb, you know, you, you should never trust Italians. They're all criminals. Like, right. you know, you would, you would never think that. But there's definitely, like, a, a heightened theatrical theatricality that those directors have given that group it's to the, and yeah. this film doesn't do that yeah with it, these two groups and I think that's the, that's what sets this film apart and mm-hmm. I think in, in my theory or in my opinion I don't want to say makes it better but makes it unique mm-hmm. um, and I preparing myself for this wanted to watch some of the not so PC Adam Sandler films nowadays because I think his career falls into that a bit into that category where a lot of the humor and jokes are things that I don't want to say we wouldn't do today because he does do them today but it was a different mindset where it was it was never malicious it was never to to uh, reinforce negative stereotypes it was always done at best and maybe a call out to society or like a satire and at worst cheap laugh Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think either of those are punishable crimes Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a good movie that sort of exemplifies that for me uh, 
is The Longest Yard, which I think is debatably the end of Adam Sandler's young heyday career. So would you kind of yeah yeah. So would you say because this you know this mm-hmm. segment or this whatever mm-hmm. is is the left turn? Would you say that that is your left turn? No, my left turn would be for, for, Adam, for Sandler. Adam Sandler. My left turn for Adam Sandler, I think, would be Click. Okay. Or post Click. Post Click. I, I think that that's where it, his I think his critically his career kind of fell off a bit. Mm-hmm. He went to Netflix, and but again, it's it's so hard to judge. Um, because he's had he's had a lot of success with Netflix, but the movies are always like, oh, what the fuck is this? Yeah. It's terrible. Like, um, and success is relative. Yeah, uh, or it's yeah, exactly. It's how you judge success. Yeah, because uh, they're, they're clearly making enough money, and the guy clearly is still relevant. Um, you know, he hasn't fallen into obscurity, and in fact, he's almost I'd say up until. Uh, that's not really true. I was gonna say up until Sonic the Hedgehog, he's been more relevant than Jim Carrey. But that, that's not really true. I well, it de- again, it depends on yeah. what you mean by relevant. Because um, like Jim Carrey has also stuck his head in er- other areas. Yeah, where he's got kidding on Showtime. Yeah. And he's also been this sort of quasi philosophical yeah. political well, also, figure. I think Jim Carrey also kind of stepped back from films voluntarily. Yeah. A bit. He he kind of wanted to focus on other things, whereas I don't think Adam Sandler really ever did that. No. Um but I think I would say the longest yard was still the peak of it. And now watching this film, especially post uh the Black Lives Matter movement, um you could definitely see I'm trying to think of a way to put this without sounding like really dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's he's here. It's literally almost. I'm almost literally joking. Literally joking. He's almost this white savior. It's almost like Dancing with the Mohicans, uh, Pocahontas thing, where this talented white guy is put into this tribal lands. And literally, when you walk into it, it's it's African Americans, it's Latinos, and Native Americans, almost, and and WWF wrestlers. It's the exact population of this prison. Um, they had like it, it, like literally, it's a who's who of African American comedians, character uh, Latino character actors, white wrestlers. And rappers is the cast of that film, and yeah. Burt Reynolds. Um, that's what it is, yeah. and it's one of those things. There's no way they would ever do something so on the nose today. Of this, and it, it's one of those things where I wonder if this was like a conscious choice beyond the fact of like, well, they're uh, criminals. Like it's it's mm. it seems so. It, it's it's definitely something that you couldn't do today, but it. it but none of it felt malicious, right? And they and except for some some kind of unfortunate, or I should say dated, uh, like Tracy Morgan and the the transvestite cheerleaders. I think is in pretty poor taste now. Transgender or tra- no, they're transvestite. Oh, the, oh, the okay. Cheer- well, f- I don't know. Fuck, it's it was a stupid bit where <laughs> yes. men were dressing up as women yes. and haha, gay jokes. Well, because le- but we don't know. You well, know what I mean? Let's let, let's let, let's yeah. also say that it's obviously a clear like connection to <laughs> Shawshank Redemption because it's the sisters. I think that they're called the sisters yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So like. You know that that is a the the thing that's but that's that, where it falls yeah. into the cheap joke right of it, yes of the thing but the movie's still kind of fun yeah I think it's better than the original Longest Yard 
the original one, it was it was basically Hoosiers in jail. Mm-hmm. Like that's all it was. Right. Um, and they had some fun with some of the. Uh, because uh, they were, they had some jokes with like Al, the Al Bundy's and that sort of thing. But this one, like the the pacing was better. It was better. Adam Sandler was really good. He actually had a character arc, which Burn Reynolds' character sure didn't. Um, it was just a better movie. The the warden James Cromwell is always one of my favorite actors. Um, it was good. It was a it was a. Uh, good movie but man it just it's just so dated now mm-hmm. and I don't know if you could even get away with doing something like that and that's I think that's a lot of Adam Sandler like don't mess with the it's this Palestinian well, so you know what okay, I mean like, it, it, let's not even like so he, here's what I'll say yeah. so so uh, here comes my take mm-hmm. on the Adam Sandler no I, I have a different left turn Go, do your take okay, but so, I, I remember to film so I think that my left turn would be around the same time but I think where it's sort of like went past the point of no return so to speak would be either grown-ups or maybe even bedtime story because the reason why i say that is because those were the two movies that you saw an inkling you saw a a, a glimmer of hope that adam sandler could still write comedies because at that point zohan had been out click had been out all these movies had been out and we were like zohan was garbage but these movies were still pretty funny, mm-hmm. and then Bedtime Stories came out, and it had a lot of well, hard. So, Zohan was just trying to get on the awesome powers wave. But it's a little it, bit later. But that's but what it's it, garbage. No, it's, it's like it's a, a terrible film. Even if you want to put it up against like Austin Powers, it's like it's garbage. But it, my my thing. So my overarching thing about Adam Sandler is that he's only good when he's playing an actual loser. He only is compelling, he's only funny, he's only interesting when he's playing a real loser. And the moment that Grown Ups happened, he started getting into this rhythm of playing a character who was always wealthy in some form or fashion, meaning that he he has a lot of material wealth, he has a lot of, you know, just, he's basically playing Adam Sandler, the actor, mm-hmm. in a role where he's like, he's got something wrong with him, where he's he's either a male chauvinist in Just Go With It, or he's this um, kind of weird uh, dad... Issues he's like your kind of thing, rough around your edges, too. but with a hard gold kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. And Once you get through all the bullshit, yeah, and, and teach him a lesson. But it, it, and those aren't compelling because, quite honestly, I mean, and partially it's because of the age that we live in. We don't care about our rich people anymore, yeah. and, and and I'm not well, saying that's a bad thing or a good thing, but it's like that's I think the it, truth. It's just gone to the well too too often. I think. The other thing, too, is with Adam Sandler, in my left-hand turn, is, like, The Longest Yard, Click, like, Waterboy, for me, and I'm not going to, like, try to go on the altar of, like, you know, I've been oppressed or anything like that, I won't ever make a claim like that, but I grew up around those parts, that Waterboy lampoons, and it was a lot of fun seeing that culture made fun of um you know the medulla omlagata mississippi state all that like that shit was a blast when i was a kid um seeing the southern culture lampooned like that but it felt like it was still done out of love Mm -hmm. you know we're gonna poke fun at you 
Uh, we're gonna roast, yeah, but we st- we still enjoy, you know, we still we still like it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Where that went from, and I don't think it was intentional. And I can say Adam Sandler is, um, is this terrible person, but where I think it went from, uh good-natured roasting to just kind of distasteful was uh, we now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Where mm-hmm. I think that's where Adam Sandler started taking a step away from uh, kind of being in with us on the joke and then laughing at a group of people. Yeah. Where he was like, ha ha, look, they're, you know, and especially, I think it's especially troublesome where even at the time, and even to some extent today, in fact, as we record this, uh, or not as we record it, but a couple weeks ago, the, the Supreme Court had major legislation on it, that there was a lot of LGBTQ people that were living in this world of like, well, my marriage isn't as important, this doesn't matter, and here's this fucking film that's turned it into a comedy thing mm-hmm. where these two firemen are like trying to get around an insurance something or other, I don't even remember... Like I even remember as a kid, yeah. I remember watching it younger, like before uh, I was more worldly, mm-hmm. and thinking ah, this seems kind of a little mean spirited. Yeah, yeah well, I don't think it was intended to be. I really don't. I just think that's where Adam Sandler fell out of step with what was funny, and I don't think he fully recovered it. Adam Sandler, as a writer, director, whatever he was, it, it, from his SNL days to, mm-hmm. to you know, now, has always had an issue with women, has always had an issue with African Americans, and always had an issue with the disabled, and I mean physically or mentally disabled. Yeah. Because... You can point to, in his films, almost to the letter, the moments where he's like, okay, he went too far with this. The one movie that I rewatched, I I basically have seen all of his movies in one way or another, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, you know, uh, Waterboy, all these things, either through the, watching them on TV or whatever. Um, But I rewatched Happy Gilmore, which to me is one of my favorite of the classic ones. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I think it works so well is because it really doesn't tick those boxes until until it really leans heavily on objectifying the one woman in the story that is actually compelling and smart and interesting by putting her in like... What, what do they call them? Like garter belt and bikini kind of thing in his happy place. And I'm like, why did you need to do that? Like have it. And also, and also he has a was, little person in it. It was a cheap what joke. What is that it was point? It was, it was, it was a time when like, I th- and again, I, I don't want to misalign Adam Sandler. I don't, I really don't think he, it was done uh, out of, maliciousness or anything absolutely not it was just, I agree I agree it was it was the times like it was it, there was a hot time in the late 80s and through the 90s and early 2000s where that was that sort of like shock humor was in right but uh, but, but, but like Adam Sandler movies yeah. American Pie films um Shallow Hal, the fuck zone, and that you know what I mean, like this whole film about this fat lady that actually he sees her as skinny. Like how fucked up is that? Now yeah. like looking back at it, yeah. But I don't think or any of those films, Deuce Bill, yeah, whatever. Rob Schneider's whole career, except yeah. for Judge Dredd, 
uh, Peerless in that. Yeah, he's just the first stretch yet with uh, Stallone. I had no idea, but oh keep going. man, you should watch. It's so good. The law. Yeah, I am the law. <laughs> oh man, but my so. It, and Billy Madison, he's more so the case that he's this kind of weird, objectifying women and everything. And then, of course, you have, like, the bus driver who's presented as this kind of mentally ill uh, woman? Or is he supposed to be a man? Because that's Chris Farley's character. I think it's I think Chris he's, Farley's playing a woman, a la John Travolta in Hairspray. Kind of like uh, his, his, she is such an ugly lunch lady, lunch lady yeah. sort of person yeah. that it took a man. To I get play. you. Like I don't think it, I don't think that was supposed to be like any sort of commentary on like no. drag or be a woman. I think it was just they were trying to make the ugliest woman possible. Right, but then and get Chris Farley. Yeah, you know. But then the crazy part though is is that. Those elements that, you know, like that we would expect, like, okay, they were a product of their time and mm-hmm. yada, yada. But then those are the things that he carried into his later movies, and I don't and, understand why. And people didn't like them. Or as much, but they do. I don't know. Like, but that's there's the like this. It's it's the one, it's the, it's the paradox of the universe. Uh, no one has ever been able to explain it to me. Who's watching Adam Sandler's movies on Netflix, except for Uncut Gems? And who the fuck is watching all these Transformers movies? Well, I'll answer. They ain't fucking cheap. You know I, what I mean? Yeah, I'll I mean, answer. I know the answer, yeah. but like that's what it feels like sometimes where you see it's like just one bad. Like, it's, it's There was a, a reviewer, the first one that he did for Netflix, and the guy's like, I don't even know like if I'm reviewing a film. I could very clearly tell that it's just Adam Sandler and his buddies got Netflix to pay them to go fuck around in Jamaica for a little bit. Yeah. And then they just shot up and did some bullshit and that's the end of it. He goes, it's it's terrible. Like, there's no writing, there's no pacing, there's nothing. It's just mm-hmm. a bunch of fucking dudes uh, and they've making jokes better. at each other. Yeah. Because yeah. their last, the last one that has been put up and I've only watched uh, and this is a plug sort of for a, a channel. If, if any of you guys are like us who really like movies or anything, I highly suggest going to redlettermedia.com or Red Letter Media on YouTube. Uh, they, they have really cool content. And they did a video where they talked about two movies that uh, were sort of centered around women. One is called The Wrong Missy. That is a Adam Sandler joint where it is David Spade and he gets in too deep with two women who are both named Missy and as the title implies he takes the wrong Missy to a business conference in like Bahamas or something like that and there's a bunch of shenanigans that goes off with that including like a lot of weird uh borderline sexual assault for instance Mm -hmm. where the woman actually assaults the man in a couple of instances and kind of this just this weird weird amalgamation of stuff but my my point is is that it's like obviously adam sandler did not learn his lessons from like oh we need to evolve as filmmakers i need to evolve as a writer to not include these weird like inappropriate jokes I'm just going to write these and then do my really cool indie darling movies with the Safdie brothers or with Paul Thomas I Anderson. bet, yeah. There's a really good Adam Sandler movie a la Michael Keaton Birdman where he's playing himself where he, like he doesn't want to do... It's funny people. 
That's what that is. Is it? Yes, okay. basically. Because uh, uh, let me preface: mm-hmm. I have not watched it myself, but I know from the plot that it's basically that. Because he plays a comedian, a stand-up comic, who is diagnosed with cancer, and instead, like he's this—he's been this really, really, uh, you know, um, successful one. But instead of like, you know, wallowing away in his wealth or whatever, he decides to start going to open mics. Like it starts going to like the smaller clubs, and then he like well, mentors to. Maybe I'm thinking more like where a fictitious Netflix approaches them, and they're like, yeah, okay, you got your uncut gems out. Oh, I get you. Yeah, and we yeah. want you to do like a Baywatch spoof or something. And Adam uh-huh. Sandler's like, well, I really don't want to. Like, I'm not a 20 year old dude anymore. Like, it's no one so more so like a Honey Boy kind of like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's not maybe not necessarily exactly him. Yeah. But that same idea of like this guy who's looking back at his career going, Man, like the time's changed on me mm-hmm. and I need to find out what that means. Uh and also that, you know, Billy Madison works, um, uh Happy Gilmore because he's this young kind of goofy looking guy but he's not that guy anymore he's not young anymore and so I think that's one of the reasons a lot because I tried Magnificent Six and Rob Schneider I cannot get past any of his stuff also Three Ninjas another good Rob Schneider movie that no one thinks that no one's ever heard of mm-hmm. it was yeah. basically a rip off of it was during the heyday of the early 90s when uh, Karate oh. Kid came out and everyone else had to have a ninja movie yeah. so we're like Hey, you know, actually, here's another example of where this film was more successful at being authentic and respectful to uh, racial uh, to to different ethnic groups that a lot of other filmmakers weren't. Is the Three Ninjas? <laughs> I think that Red Letter Media did a video on that as well. They did a what, what they call the best of the worst. But anyway, but that's kind of funny. Um, is there a sequel? Hulk Hogan. Oh, who is who is the ambassador of being colorblind? No, wait. He said a lot of really terrible things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, um, but I think that people, when they hear that, are going to think that you're actually talking about people who are colorblind. Like, literally. No, no, no. No, no. Uh, <laughs> no he's talking about the racial yeah, Hulk Hogan had a couple of uh, very strong opinions on who his daughter was dating. Yes. <laughs> He, he joined the uh, the list, which of, is such uh, a shame. Like Mel Gibson, my, the, see the my like, uh, Alec Baldwin as well. Yeah, this may be my uh, controversial opinion, but if you're a filmmaker and you did things that were in line with what the culture was doing at the time, uh, I'll give you a pass a bit as long as you as long as you can kind of recognize that and sort of move on. But and I think you should do that even in, even in non-sensitive matters. Like things change. You can't keep doing the same shit over and over again and you need to constantly evolve your art. But when you do shit off the side like that's a reflection of your character and, I, and again I think it and I'm getting way off on uh, a tangent here because I don't think Adam Sandler's done anything not to my knowledge. He's been a pretty up and up kind of guy. Oh, you mean like just yeah. personally, like yeah, like what do you do? Because it's I, it de- like definitely not done blackface. <laughs> no, so he's blown up Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, and uh, and Jimmy well, Kim- I guess Thirty Rock did it too. There's a few episodes. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, uh, 
brought up. We're not we're, getting yeah, into we this. Don't, but let's, uh, let's table that that conversation. Yes. Get back to the fun boy Adam Sandler. Yeah, where he, he, like Jim Carrey, and I think where Jim Carrey was able to dodge um, being a little bit more crude. Uh, a lot of Jim Carrey's films were. I don't think he did a lot of crude films. There Jim mo- Carrey? I don't think so. Jim Not Carrey. crude, like like American Pie kind of humor crude. Well, okay. Do you mean like vulgar, but maybe not as offensive? Or do uh, you mean like uh, shock gross, comedy? but not Me, myself, insensitive. and Irene. Oh, I forgot about Me, Myself, yeah. and Irene. Because <laughs> um, they, yeah, I mean, that's pretty raunchy for a comedy. Even back in the day, yeah. it was like, whoa. Well, you know who would have been maybe a better figure even though the kind of the three of them mm-hmm. uh, were sort of all around the same times that both had a coming shtick Jim Carrey Adam Sandler um, Ben Stiller okay but the difference but Ben between, Stiller yeah. was much more successful in in diversifying his comedies I well, think well and also too because he's directing a lot of yes them. because he like one of the best and I will I will say this until the day I die one of the most underrated Jim Carrey movies in his entire overall of films I don't even know if that's the proper term is The Cable Guy because it is it it's not crazy it's got just enough edge to be funny and a little bit makes you feel uncomfortable, but it also has an interesting story because it's like he plays this awkward person who you might know a version of in real life, but it's done also in the with the background of like an OJ trial where it's the twins that are played by Ben Stiller who directed the movie, and it's so weird and so, but it works. But again, like that's Ben Stiller's work. That's, and I'm, I'm almost certain that he did this. He also did Tropic Thunder. I want to. Well, he was definitely in it. He was definitely in in it, it. but I think he also quick Google search. Yeah, Uh, I I will R and D scotch like a boss. I will. uh, (laughs) I I will effort that while while we continue to talk. But Ben Stiller, the reason why I would say that he's different from the three is that he knew he knows when to go for it and he knows when to back off of it. And I think he has. He was also better at. Um, and this is pure, absolutely arbitrary and subjective of what I'm going to say. Like, I know all opinions are, but this one is especially so. Mm-hmm. Is uh, he was really good at laughing at people's being dumb and insensitive. Yes. Yes. And I think uh, bad guys are funny when you make yeah, fun of but them. Even, kind of thing. But even when, like um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Tropic Thunder, uh, which could have, I, I mean, hit all the ingredients, but no one, it's no one's, no one's even trying to cancel him. Directed. Yeah, yeah I, I thought so too. Yeah. No one's trying to cancel him. Everyone's in it. Everyone likes it because it wasn't, it wasn't a character. It wasn't laughing at. At some caricature of an African American, it was laughing at this stupid, entitled Australian method, the process actor that's gone so far over the end that he's doing this absolutely obscenely, like 
racist thing. Like that's the joke, and, he and that's what makes yeah. it work. And he doesn't even realize yeah. and acknowledge the fact that it is racist mm-hmm. and insensitive. And that's the the hilarious bit about it. And in fact, you know, sort of a funny thing though that he was on. Uh, Joe Rogan's podcast mm-hmm. and, and was interviewed and he was asked like well do you think that this could be made today and he said absolutely not yeah. because I mean even if you have that great point and really thing which is, in my personal opinion it's kind of sad that you that you have to say no even with the caveat of having a good racial point and a good like message for the audience it still can't be done because of the, the the temperature of the world right now. Now, I will say that I think that it's okay as long as the people who are expressing the fact that it shouldn't be made are the actual group that's being. But I think that. But I think targeted. that's. I think that's where Ben Stiller and Robert Downey Jr. were more successful than the Adam Sandlers, where they where they knew we made this movie at a time when not only was it acceptable, but it also had some weight. Right. Now today, the uh, the imagery of the blackface would completely distract and degrade from the, the initial joke of this completely entitled actor, because that's the actual joke that we were making. Yeah. And I think, I haven't seen the Joe Rogan interview, but I would imagine maybe it's there's similar. something along yeah. those lines. It, it, it's similar what he talks uh, about, but it, 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 yeah. But... And because I, movies have to follow culture. Like, they can't... Yeah. Uh, everyone would love to go that these books, films, and movies, but there's, there's some, like, weird, liberal, libertarian, conservative dream world where, like, you could go out there and say whatever you want, and there's absolutely no repercussions, and everyone will look at it objectively, but that's... Well, that's, but, and see, <laughs> again, not to, not to sort of delve into this little... Tangent. I was all ready to talk about fart jokes. No, but, like, not, not, to, not to go into this tangent just yeah. a little bit more, but, like, unfortunately, in, in the way that our country is going right now, and maybe even just the world in general... We are going to get to the point where there's going to be conservative movies. I mean, because we're already there. There are there's going to be liberal movies. There's going to be libertarian movies. There's going to be all these different things, and they're going to be separated into like okay. And what I mean by it's already happening, uh, there was a movie not too long ago called uh, "Dragged Across Dragged Across Concrete." It starred Mel Gibson and his darling. What's his name? Uh, big guy who was in Swingers. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn, yeah. Who both are now sort of like the main people in Hollywood that are conservative. And that was a movie that it was it was literally about uh he was a dodgeball. Yeah, he was. Uh, uh, yeah. He he was. It it takes place in a VA hospital that or a VA lodge or something like that that's being attacked by like gang members and it's like how conservative can you be yeah. <laughs> like and, and and that's the unfortunate thing and i think to tie it back to what we're talking about with adam sandler and and with uh you know even uh, jim carrey and that is that they are two people that i think are on the fringes of that world of politics and everything mm-hmm. jim carrey a little less but definitely with adam sandler and I think that maybe this could be a good thing for him because now he can start to focus on more things like Uncut Gems and Punch Drunk Love where he's like, 
I'm a, you know, a decent actor, so give me good roles and I will show you that I'm 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 a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Because I, ultimately, Adam Sandler, whenever he's given an interesting and good script, he does well. Punch Drunk Love, like Spanglish, Adam all Sandler, these Jim Carrey, um, and Ben Stiller. They're all talented actors. I haven't seen Ben Stiller in a dramatic role that I thought was good. And that might be just a me problem. That it, because he has done things like with um, oh, what's her name, um, Greta Gerwig, <laughs> that I've heard are are, are really good. Um, but I just haven't but seen his, them yet. His characters. Well, I'm trying to think. I've gone through the um, his most dramatic movie, and the only one I can come up with off the top of my head, like a, a, a film that was held like in. Uh, was uh, very popular not some like smaller thing that he did um, man the only one that could come to my head is Meet the Fockers yeah. or the first one whatever the first uh, one Meet the was. Parents yeah. Meet the Parents yeah not the second one um, where he was he played uh, it was it was really Robert De Niro that was kind of the over the top sort of character and then he was this regular straight man straight guy yeah. in the film well he plays um, a straight man well yeah. let me let me preface that. Mm-hmm. He plays a straight man well. He plays the over-the-top crazy person. Because yeah. he was actually in um, Happy Gilmore. He he was the orderly. Yes, he sure was. Yeah. I forgot about that. Which, which <laughs> many people have said that the, the, the his character in Happy Gilmore is then extended and amplified in Dodgeball. And they almost have said that they're the same character. No, I... The, his villain role in Dodgeball is my favorite character by... By far, I everything about that character is so well done because he's not evil. He's just kind of a shithead, but like a fun shithead. And the fact that his goatee's uneven is the is the best in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think with Adam Sandler, he's a good metric of late eighties, nineties, early two thousand actor comedian writer that is trying to transition out of what has worked for them because either a it's it's kind of unacceptable now either both culturally or critically people just aren't into it anymore uh they've aged out of the role and i think this is where where uncut gems is showing us where adam sandler can really start doing some serious stuff where uh, maybe another contemporary fist that I think you really could argue well except in one specific manner in one specific franchise that has not been successful at getting out of the goofy 90s is Mike Myers if you if you put Shrek to the side um, he the he only, hasn't the only thing that he has been able to do is sneak in some certain places because he was in, in Glorious Bastards mm-hmm. but it's all kind of candy yeah, stuff exactly he hasn't he hasn't mainlined a non nope. Shrek film, yeah. and he same he was very easily his uh, Adam Sandler's contemporary, even and, in his own life because yeah. you see him on like when he goes on interviews or something he's never himself, he is always dressed up as a character, yeah. which I think is almost like I, I I'm concerned about him because if he can't be who he is. See, I think Mike Myers, and this is where there's a lot of supposition here. So, mm-hmm. I think he just made so much money with Shrek so quickly, and and also coming straight out of 
the absolute shit show flop that's almost a, a pinnacle of the culturally insensitive bullshit that you can't do anymore is Love Guru because oh, that movie was bad all around and Some I think that and then turning, doing that and then immediately doing Cat in the Hat after watching Jim Carrey kind of crush it as the Grinch I thought so I thought that movie was going to be a train wreck because I it's like how do you take a 10 page book and turn it into a movie and I thought it's a dumb it's a dumb faux Christmas movie because it's not really Christmassy other than just having the stuff but Jim Carrey was good as the Grinch and only Jim Carrey could have done that and literally Mike Myers tried to replicate that and it sucked it was terrible and I think those two defeats plus with uh, effectively probably the infinite money he's getting with Shrek um, and I don't want to disparage Shrek the first Shrek movie is amazing it's a the second one's good too um, and I think there's what four of them now we don't talk about I think he's just like you know what why bother I can show up and do this fun cameo shit in movies and people love it I can come be on Stephen Colbert as this you know general brigadier character Uh, everyone's got a good laugh uh, every time Kanye shows up anywhere and the gong show Uh, yeah and he's he's probably just like you know what fuck it whereas uh, Adam Sandler doesn't have that I don't think the fall I mean I don't know how these people no he didn't but he he doesn't he doesn't have what was he I'm trying to think I mean there was Grandmother's Boy animated film he was in I'm trying and, to voiceover stuff oh, he, and he was uh, also Eight Crazy Nights which was a but really a fucking, horrible yeah, yeah. but that's not even a kid, like a kids movie you know what I mean it wasn't it well was it was movie, but it's but not like Shrek or no. you know like it's not the um I guess he's the Dra- he's Dracula in Transylvania Hotel or Motel, whatever it is. Trans- yeah. Um, I forgot. I had never seen I've never seen those. any of them either. I have no interest in seeing them. In fact, I'll the only reason I know he's in that movie is I got on IMDb to like do some Adam Sandler research, yeah. and that's the first thing he was in. And so he was- doesn't have that. He doesn't have that, yeah. that easy go-to. And even Ben Stiller, I would imagine, there's not as much pressure to kind of keep relevant because... He directed and produced and wrote a lot of stuff that's probably still earning him money. So maybe it's not a matter of like, and I'm not saying that Adam Sandler's hard up for cash or trying to do paycheck stuff. Um, I don't think he's Robert De Niro because I think fucking Robert De Niro, boy, if it's not Scorsese, he can sure choose some some shit to be in. I don't know who the, the hell turns in yeah. <laughs> Fucking the Zac Efron movie, Bad Grandpa. Oh my god! I'm like it's your Robert De Niro. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand <laughs> a lot of these. People, like it's like you feel like he could fuck up, he could rock up and get whatever role he wants. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I guess he maybe he's like difficult to work with, or I don't know. But um, I just, I really like to see Adam Sandler. I, I really, even if I didn't like the film Uncut Gems, I, I really like that Adam Sandler got an opportunity to kind of cut his chops in a, in a, in a in a serious film that didn't feel like it was pandering to him mm-hmm. uh, and it was good and I and I and, and I, re- I really liked it to, to, <laughs> so to put, so <laughs> to put a well, to put a period on my like take on sort of our conversation and Uncut Gems uh, as a whole um, I think that Uncut Gems sort of confirms what a lot of people I think were have been saying about uh, Adam Sandler, and and that's 
Adam Sandler doesn't understand himself in other directors and writers understand him better than he knows himself because again I I really it goes back to who does he do well who what characters does he do well does he act well with whatever um and that is someone who you relate to because he is just an everyday guy trying to make it but failing miserably and sometimes it's his fault sometimes it's not his fault and whenever he's gone away from that whenever he's tried to do some stupid kind of wackadoo thing then we don't really care about him because even with like I even thought about this I was like well even with Billy Madison who he plays a rich kid that's his in his heyday that was the lesser one in my personal opinion because again he was just some rich brat that yeah, was like you, you know that uh kind of prep like that's the sweatiest premise of a movie of all yeah, time. But like, but it worked. Like yeah, but Big Daddy, yeah. Mr. Deeds, uh, you know, uh, Happy Gilmore, like all these, the good movies that he made were all characters who were just blue collar guys mm-hmm. who were trying to do something and then something was introduced to them that either was a conflict or an issue or whatever or maybe even a plus in the case of Mr. Deeds because he became a millionaire overnight. But, um... And then he's like, okay, I just walk through life the way that I always yeah. have. I'm just this normal, everyday guy. And specifically, I, I something I wanted to say in conclusion about Uncut Gems is that we can't dismiss the direction that he was put under. Because the Safdie brothers are, in my personal opinion, some of the best directors to come out of A24 lately. They are the future, I think, of like that Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, almost Quentin Tarantino-esque uh, filmmaking where it's this, you know, new way, but it's using a lot of older tactics. Like it, something that I love that this movie does is the camera movement is so fluid. We're, we're, we're watching Uncut Jim sort of in the background and they're showing the scene where um, they get trapped in the vestibule. Uh, and the camera movement is just, it's sweeping across and constant motion to, in a couple of the shots. Well, it's also of, kind of matching the manic energy of these characters. Exactly. Yeah. And, it's the, and it's that tapping into of energy by the director that makes this movie and Good Times for me work so well. And I think that Adam Sandler is just a great presence. He's a great actor for these moments in these roles so yeah yeah also like that little security thing slipped down yeah <laughs> I I guess my last little take on it uh, I don't think this was done intentionally but I do think it's something that is a, I guess an interesting juxtaposition of Adam Sandler's career is that he Debatably, I'll, I'll throw debatably in there, depending on how you, your level of importance that you put on it and that sort of stuff. So he's, his career was kind of made poking fun at stereotypes, I think could be fair to say. Um, and then the last film that he was in that is debatably his best film in his career um, 
or one of the best, is a film that definitely avoided falling into those stereotypes. And I think Adam Sandler also helps with that cause. And I think it's really interesting to see uh, the, both the growth as him as an actor and the growth of him uh, kind of going where, like, where I think we're filing and where we want to see less cartoon characters and more authentic characters. I, 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 can, I think is a good way of um, sort of generalizing the modern audience now is that we don't we don't wanna, we don't want to see the water boy this dumb southern you know maybe we'll get back to that one day or we'll go somewhere completely different but I think after a lot decades of cartoon characters uh, really pushing diff all sorts of stereotypes both culturally and racially um, and sociographically. Uh, I think we've gotten to a place where I think a lot of people want to see things grounded a bit more. And it kind of, uh, I really enjoyed seeing a grounded Adam Sandler in a more authentic film. Because he's done grounded stuff, but that was always, there was still an element, a heightened element to it. Um, Whereas this isn't, the characters aren't as theatrical, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Also, Ben Stiller should come back and direct this, some stuff. I would love to see Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler get together. Chris Farley shouldn't have died. <laughs> well, Kevin James took his place, so... No! Oh, my God. How, my colleague has burst into flames, so I gotta even put him out for implying that Kevin James is is anywhere near as good as... I didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't replace him. That, it, it, uh, you know, if we get into the stereotypes dude, and everything that Kevin happened... Kevin James is... He's the so, fat, funny guy. He's so bad that when he made another show, he hired his wife from the first show to come back. <laughs> King of Queens is pretty good, though. But what was the sequel? I don't even know. No, it I, wasn't a sequel. It well, was, no, no, it wasn't a sequel, but they, it was him. It was... So, I don't, I and the lady was remember. terrible. And they literally got the same lady to come back. And there's a part of it that's like... It's like, according to Kevin or something like that? That's it. That's exactly it. Really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, I'm sad that I know I got that yeah. right. All right. Peace out.